and a very warm welcome. And also welcome to those who will be listening again. Do you know, it excites me every time we're low in number because it's half term and members of Camborne Church will be across the world this morning. And actually, that, that for me is, is a cause of just, just celebration and prayer as we think about the Christians being salt and light throughout the whole of God's world today. So if we had one of those interactive charts and we, you know, and we tagged our members and, and we could follow them throughout the world, it would be very exciting to see where Camborne Church as a body of believers was um, this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth it speaks into our lives. We thank you for its revelation of your promise and purpose. Help us to reverence your word, Lord. Help us to hold it in esteem. And help us to see you through it. Help us to encounter you through the pages of scripture. And help us to do that this morning. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we began to explore the story of the people of Israel and we looked at how the Israelites lived under a promise. In fact, the Israelites lived under several promises, but last week we focused on that covenant promise of God to Abraham and then later on in Genesis to Jacob that the people would um, inhabit a land of their own. And we saw that promise fulfilled uh, through the leadership of people like Moses and Joshua as the people of Israel entered the land of Canaan, quite literally the promised land. So I wanted to share some more promises from the scriptures with you. And as we look at these promises, I wonder if you can look back over the last week in your mind and look at the evidence of God's promise being fulfilled So these are the promises that I want to share with you this morning. First of all, from Deuteronomy. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave or forsake you. How many of you have known God's presence with you this week? In John chapter 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. How many of you have known the welcome of God this week? In Romans 8, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God's love, the promise of life with God. And from First John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How many of us have known the forgiveness of God in our lives this week? Echoes of God's promise come in true in your life. We said last week that one of the first lessons from this series is that God keeps his promise. So let's scene set so that we can cite God's promise to David within the wider context of 2 Samuel. So a couple of chapters earlier in 2 Samuel chapter 5, the newly anointed King David has arrived at Jerusalem carrying the Ark of the Covenant. He meets with opposition and he has to fight battles, but he arrives um, in Jerusalem. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, 
the Lord Almighty is ascribed the language of a king. And he's described as being enthroned on the cherubim and the ark. So we have a recognition that whilst David might be the newly anointed king of Israel, the Lord Almighty sits on the throne of heaven. So two truths in this series so far. First of all, that God keeps his promise, that God is faithful. And secondly, that as God's people, along with the people of Israel, we are called to be God's people in God's place, living under God's rule. And this big picture of the Old Testament, of a God who promises and calls and rules, is emerging. And it matters to our understanding of the Father and the way we follow Jesus Christ. So if you haven't got your Bibles open, you'll want to keep them open now in 2 Samuel um, chapter 7, because we're going to go through it and see what it has um, to teach us about the Father this morning. So in 2 Samuel 7, here we find David receiving a promise from God. Let's start with the first couple of verses. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. As we've already mentioned, David has had to battle and conquer armies that be installed in his palace. And he is now in a season of rest. And I would imagine this season of rest means freedom from battle, And I wonder if there's a message here for us about modern times, about modern society. And I wonder if there's a message here for us about the value of rest and how God leads us into seasons of rest in our lives. I wonder if there's a modern parable contained in this scripture for us that um, sometimes our own enemy is ourselves. And we're not fighting against external enemies, but we're fighting against our own sense of busyness. And those of you who know me well know that I'm talking to myself as well as you when I say this. So can I ask you, where are the times and the seasons in your life where you have moments of rest? What are those spaces where you make time just to come before the Father in prayer and worship? Where are your times of listening out to God? Because the risk we run is that if we're in a season of busyness, then we're so reactive to everything that's happening around us that we don't stop to think about where God is. David has this season of rest, and because he has this season of rest, he starts to think about the Ark of the Covenant, that powerful symbol of God's presence with his people. And he starts to think about how he is in this palace, and the Ark of the Covenant is in a tent, and he feels um, humbled and unworthy. In verse 2, here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the Ark of God remains in a tent. David is concerned that the very symbol of God's presence was sighted in a building uh, not worthy of it. There's both humility at play here on David's part, who doesn't want to be in a palace while the Ark of the Covenant resides in a tent, but there's also knowledge that David has of what Moses instructed back in the book of Deuteronomy. But you will cross the Jordan 
and settle in the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And he will give you rest from all your enemies around you, so you will live in safety. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt sacrifices and offerings, your tithes and special gifts, and the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. So David is in this long promised season of rest and his mind turns to fulfill what he sees as an obligation to build a place for God to be worshipped. However, note the language of Deuteronomy carefully. Then to the place the Lord your God shall choose. So David in verse 2 gets it slightly ahead of himself, um, but with good motivation. God will choose the time and the place where he is to be worshipped. I'm always concerned as, as a minister who speaks not to read something into scripture that, that isn't there. But I want to say something else about this which I believe in faith is for us here this morning. As a church family we have a responsibility to care for each other. In fact it's an explicit um, uh, promise um, of our membership as a church. And it's often the case that during times of transition in our lives, during times of challenge, we turn to Christian friends for advice. And that's good and you should keep doing it. Um, But I think there's a lesson for us. And when I was preparing this talk, I just felt in prayer that there's a lesson for us, that there is no substitute, none at all, to holding um, our sense of calling from God before him in prayer. So that it's God's wisdom that we hear and not just our own. Nathan, you see, says to David in verse 3, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Nathan, being a prophet, is a man of God, and yet what he says to David is, go ahead and do that which you plan to do. And yet, as we see in the rest of the chapter, God intervenes with an alternative uh, message for David which we'll come on to, but it contains the word to David that it is Solomon who will build the temple, the physical place where God is to be worshipped. And what I feel of these scriptures is that we should talk to each other about our plans, but we should also constantly hold ourselves before God, seeking his wisdom. Recall the words of the prophet Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So back to 2 Samuel 7, and in verses 5 through 16, we hear God's promise for David revealed through the prophet Nathan. God promises David a house, or more accurately, a dynasty. Here we see a kingdom being established. In fact, we see two kingdoms being established. We see David, military commander, war hero, newly installed king of Israel as a nation in the places of Israel and Judah with a defined geography. So we see an earthly king um, and his kingdom. But more than that, we see the kingdom of heaven being established through David and through God's promise to David. There are two kingdoms being established and extended in this chapter. 
And you might wonder, as, as I did, why God chooses David um, to, to be the recipient of his promise. Well, we find the answer in the book of Acts, in chapter 13 of, of Acts. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything that I want him to do. This is both the most amazing compliment of David, that God, the Lord Almighty, would describe David as a man after his own heart. But I also find it quite challenging that God searches our characters um, and I find that, um, you know, I find myself wanting to live up to this scripture that the Lord himself would describe each of us as people after his own heart. But David look, God looks into David's life and testifies to his character. David has a heart to search after the Lord. And this combination of character and hunger for God means that David himself is the recipient of God's promise. And here's the critical point. The promise David receives is not conditional. The promise David receives is not conditional. It was commonplace in David's time for kings to grant promises um, to their subjects. These promises might be for positions of influence, they might be for wealth, or they might be for land. But oftentimes, these promises would contain a condition or a rider attached to them that says, you have to go on being obedient to me, um, being allegiant to the king, and you have to carry on being faithful as a subject. When God makes his promise to David, there is no such condition attached. God makes his promise And when we witness Solomon installed as Israel's king, Solomon being David's son, we see that promise fulfilled. And in between these two events, David makes serious errors of judgment. Despite what the Lord sees of David's character, like all of us, he gets life wrong at times. But God still remains faithful to his promise. And throughout the whole of scripture, there is a lack of conditionality. God's promise to David is not based upon his actions or obedience or even that of his son Solomon's. The father didn't make the cross conditional on our obedience. In fact, the cross is Jesus' act of unconditional love. But here's the deal. The promise to David is not a blank check. It's not, I'll give you my promise and you can do whatever you like with your life. And the nature of the relationship of living under God's promise is spelled out in verses 14 and 15. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul. When I removed from whom I removed from before you, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, and your throne will be established forever. 
just going to risk going off on a slight tangent here. When we were in our reflection series looking at the Psalms, or some of the Psalms, um, when we started with Psalm 4, we came across the, um, the phrase, um, I forget which particular verse of Psalm 4 it's in, but we came across the phrase faithful servant. And we said that the Hebrew for the word faithful or love being used in that Psalm was hesed, um, H-E-S-E-D. And it's the same word for love being used in verses 14 and 15 but my love my hesed will never be taken away from him and when the word hesed is used in the old testament we understand it to be the lavish faithful love of god so god is lavishing his love on david even though david gets it wrong because god's correction of david at times when david gets it wrong is not motivated by anger but is motivated by lavish faithful love god wants david um, to be the best king that david can be in proverbs we read these words for those whom the lord loves he corrects even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights so Nathan relays the prophecy and promise of God to David. And in verses 18 to 27, David responds to God's promise with praise and humility. Two points as we draw to a close. Firstly, in this overview of the Old Testament series, this is one of the critical passages of Scripture. It's the continuation of God's promise to his people, begun with Abram and Jacob, that his people should inherit a land. And last week we looked at the fulfillment of that promise as the people of Israel inhabited the land of Canaan, the promised land. So God's people are now living in God's place. And now we want to see God's people living in his place under God's rule. And so God promises to David that his kingdom, his dynasty, shall last forever. And so we see Solomon installed as king. Now, um, the kings came to an end, if we were to read further into the Old Testament. But we believe that Jesus Christ is the perfect king. The one who comes and fulfills God's complete version of king, a vision of kingship. When Jesus... So whilst David's line in terms of being king might come to an end, Jesus picks up and um, in, in Matthew's gospel we chase the ancestry of Jesus back through David's line. Secondly, the right response to God's blessing is thanksgiving and praise. Can I ask you as you pray, do you have the habit of journaling? Do you have the habit of writing down your prayers and looking for answers to those prayers actively? Do you have the practice of reflecting on your day at the end of it? Just taking five to ten minutes at the end of the day before you go to bed to say, you know, where have I seen God in my life? What encounters have I had? What have I seen that surprised me? Where might God be in that surprise? Where have I gone wrong? And how, by God's grace, can I resolve not to go there again? Are you in the practice of reflecting back on where God's blessing is in your day? And can I challenge you and myself with you? Do you give God enough praise? Sounds a strange question because, of course, we, we can't give God sufficient praise, though we can try. Do we give God praise for the blessings, the thanksgivings that we see in our lives? 
David writes in verses 22 and 23, How great you are, sovereign Lord, there is no one like you, and there is no God but you. As we have heard with our own ears, and who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself, and to make a name for himself, and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. Isn't it glorious that the Lord Almighty, God himself, chooses to reveal himself by blessing? And isn't it great that as we've been able to see through this series, God gives people land and he gives people children and he gives people the promise of his presence with his people and we stand in the fulfillment of that promise And as we go into this week, we take God's presence out with us. As members of Camborne Church who are dispersed amongst the world on holiday or visiting family and friends today, God's presence has gone out from Camborne. As you take your crowns out with you, remember the fruits of the Spirit of embodying true kingship as you encounter people for Jesus. And pray boldly that God might use you to reach people for himself. Let's just pray a prayer of praise. Lord God Almighty, you are enthroned in the heavenly places, enthroned on the cherubim. And we praise you, Lord, that you choose to reveal yourself through manifold blessing. We thank you for your hesed, for your lavish, faithful, unmerited love to us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross, for letting us come before the Father and know the Father's heart. And Lord, we praise you for all you are and all you do. Let's worship.